Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Pastor Doug is in Jacksonville this morning, and uh, he's in a good place. So I know Florida has been uh, just hit a lot this uh, is the past couple of months or whatever. But he's in a good place. I talked to him this morning. He's uh, he's had a great time uh, being out there with his son and uh, and a visitor from the church. The ship. Well, Connor came and visited him there as well. So it's been fun. But uh, I'm, I'm going to share the, the word with you today. Um, so what happens is, is typically uh, I'm in Sunday school teaching oftentimes every Sunday morning from 9 to 10. And we're going through the book of Matthew. So Doug's doing that Acts, you know, in here uh, for the service. And I'm teaching Matthew in that class. And so, and by the way, if you don't go, we'd love to have you as a part of that study group. Uh, we are now at chapter 18, but because we're in, we, I'm preaching today, we're covering chapter 18 that we would have covered in class. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through chapter 18 and there's a lot to cover. There's a lot here. So, uh, if you'll open up your Bibles to Matthew 18, this is page 772 in, in the Bibles in front of you, 772. Now, as father, followers of the way of Jesus, who does Jesus need us to be? What are we called to do? How are we supposed to be for those around us? And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we go through and uh, we go through uh, chapter 18. So our text today is going to give us some specific biblical values that we're going to follow, okay, that we're going to go through. So let's jump right in. Okay, let's Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So I'm going to cover four values, four biblical values uh, today that Jesus gives us here in Matthew 18. Here's the first one. We're to be a welcoming people. Okay, a welcoming people. So the disciples asked a very interesting question there. They said, who is the greatest among the kingdom? Right? Who's it going to be? And, and I read that and I feel like that sounds kind of childish, doesn't it? Like it, whenever you were a kid, did you remember like, uh, you know, fighting with your class about who's going to be the line leader to the bathroom? Right? Like I feel like I hear that fight every day on this campus. Right? But that's it, essentially what the disciples are saying here. They're saying, Jesus, who are you going to pick to be the line leader. Okay? And he answers their childish question with a child. Okay? Now the word for child, I wasn't going to share Greek with you, but it's important this time. The word for child, the word in the Greek is paideon. Okay? It, that's what's being used here. Okay? For a child. And this means it's a very, very young, a small child. So essentially it's a toddler. Okay? So you can imagine, uh, these guys are probably feeling pretty foolish. Right. That, you know, when Jesus says, I'm going to pick a toddler to be my line leader. Right. But, but I think what's going on here, he's helping the disciples really begin to see the difference between childishness 
and childlikeness. Okay? Because one is rooted in pride and the other is rooted in humility. And I would suggest to you that he's calling his disciples to humility at heart, not childlessness at thought. Okay? So now listen, I have loved watching my children, you know, uh, you know especially now my grandchildren, learn and talk about spiritual things. So not long ago, my son, my grandson and I were having a conversation about uh, how everybody has sinned and fallen short. And so uh, even good people sin, right? And so, you know, I was talking to him and he's like, uh, even, you mean, even Nana, that's my wife, even Nana has sinned? And I'm like, yes, even Nana has sinned. And so... You know, he, he's, uh, he, you know, that's one thing about children. Children, they're, they're just so simple, aren't they? Like, you know, by the way, Micah hasn't talked to Nana ever since that conversation. <laughs> but they're so simple. They don't have an overly developed worldview or bias. They're impressionable, yet at the same time, they're helpless, aren't they? Right? They don't, they're not thinking about what's going on, what's going to happen next week or next year or even in the next 10 years. They're not really thinking about that because they're totally dependent on mom and dad for both provision and protection. And so that's what Jesus is saying here, right? He's essentially saying to get into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, you need to be as dependent upon the grace of God as this child is dependent upon their parents. Okay? He's saying this child is an example of what it means to be a child of God. And then he gives us three challenges. Okay? The first one is this. It says, turn from yourself. Look at verse 3 again. He said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children. Now that word turn there, it means to repent or to reverse course. Or to change course. So, so what exactly is he saying they need to repent of? Well, he's saying they need to repent of their way of thinking about greatness. Okay? Now listen, God does want greatness for his children. Okay? He, he even said, you're going to do greater things than this. But the thing is, God defines greatness a whole lot different than the world defines greatness. He defines he defines greatness as humility. Okay? And, and that starts by turning from themselves, from ourselves. Okay? So that's where we've got to start. If we're going to be a welcoming people, we've got to get that right. Right? We've got to get that right. It, it, we have to turn from ourselves. Okay? Now secondly, you've got to humble yourself. Okay? Look at verse four, four again. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. To be a welcoming people, we must be a humble people. Okay? Because hospitality is impossible without humility. Because humility welcomes people in, but pride pushes people out. Right? And you've probably experienced this in, in both sides and maybe in different, uh, all, all different types of relationships like a friendship or with family or maybe even a marriage relationship? How far do you think you're going to get in your marriage if you lack humility? Right? 
A lot of guys have asked me, uh, what's the secret to being married so long? I've been married to my wife for 32 years. And after all jokes aside, I look at them and I just really at some point and just say, listen, I can give you a lot of tools, a lot of, you know, great building tools for building a, a healthy marriage. But really, here's the deal. At the end of the day, if you lack humility, then you're dead in the water. Right? Because humility, you can't circumvent humility. There's no workaround for humility, for a lack of it. So did you know, by the way, guys, did you know that the Bible never says to humble another person? Right? Like, I, I got to be honest with you. I, there's been some times, like I, I, with my children or my business I used to have or my brothers, like there's been so many times that I'm like, I need to humble somebody here, right? Like I felt like it was my job so many times, right? To, I had to humble them or somebody else. Well, the Bible never says that we're to humble another person, okay? But the Bible is very clear, however, that we're to humble ourselves, okay? It's not our job to humble somebody else. It's our job to humble ourselves. That's our part, and we can only do our part And humility is how God defines greatness. And I believe he will do great things through the one who doesn't see himself as great, but sees God as great. And that's what James 4.10 says, by the way. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Right? So turn from yourself. Okay? Then humble yourself. Now, third challenge is this. Welcome the little ones. Welcome the little ones. It says, verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So Jesus changes the word he uses for child here. Remember the first word he used when I, when I was talking about uh, you know, describing a toddler. He was using the word pideon. Okay? So after this point, starting in verse 6, he begins using the word micros, which is close to the other word, but a little different. And this subtle shift, this Shift in language, I think, shows an important point where Jesus he's using this illustration. He begins to take a a deeper meaning, okay? because he's no longer talking about just biological children. okay? from this point forward, he's talking about biological and spiritual children. okay? so spiritual children, meaning new believers, okay? new to the faith. They're still cutting their teeth on God's word. They're still sipping milk, right? This is what Jesus is saying, right? Whoever comes, whoever welcomes these children, both biological and spiritual, that's what he's saying. And we will never be a welcoming people if we can't even welcome Jesus, right? Whether that's here or in our, in this, in the church or in our homes. Right, Because we're not supposed to just be this way when we're here. We're supposed to go out and be that way in our homes or in our workplaces or wherever that may be. I remember one of the top three kind of scariest times in my life was when Deanna and I uh, came home uh, with our first child from the hospital. Uh, we drove away from the hospital and it, and, and we put Megan, our oldest daughter, uh, in the car seat, uh, and D and I are driving home, and it's like in that moment, uh, 
that I, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, there's no more doctors. There's no nurses. Like, it's just me and D, right? And, and, you know, at that point forward, we're responsible for another human being. And I just felt overwhelmed, like terrified, right? And, and so I remember, though, it was like yesterday because it was at that moment when we were getting her out of the car that I looked at Megan, and from that point forward, she was mine. And I was responsible to love her and to feed her and to care for her and protect her and provide for her. Guys, that's what it looks like to welcome these new believers into the family. Okay? To bring them in and say, you're a part of the family now. We're responsible for you to raise you up in the word. Okay? Now, again, the two words for children, they're similar in the Greek. The first, padion, and the second one, makros. The second word adds another layer of meaning. Okay? It means small and little, but it also can be translated as the least. Okay? The least. And so if we're going to be a welcoming people, whether at our home or at church, then we have to treat even the least of these as precious in God's sight. Right? Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 says this. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Okay, well, when did, when did you do that, Lord? And the king will answer them. Truly, I will say to you, you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers. You did it to me. And so there's some questions we have to ask ourselves, right? Are we known for being a welcoming people in our everyday life, not just in here, in our homes? Are we known for being a welcoming people here in this church? Do children feel welcome here, biological children? And I believe they do, right? But do spiritual children feel welcome here, right? I believe they do. Are we meeting, though, where they're at? Do we do the least of these feel welcome here? And if they don't, then Jesus is saying that he's not welcome here. Right. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in a place where Jesus is not invited. Right. So we have to be a welcoming people. Okay. Secondly, the second biblical value we're going to cover is we need to be a safe people, safe people. Verse six. But whoever causes one of the, these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Kind of a little bit morbid, Jesus. Woe to the world for temptation to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one who, by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than than in two than two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now he's saying, don't be causing them to fall. OK, 
okay, to, to, to stumble. Don't be causing them to be, uh, you know, don't, don't offend them, okay? Don't, kinda, don't try to trap them or entice them, influence them into sin, okay? And what we need to take from these verses is just how seriously God takes in protecting his own, right? Like, like you know, you guys know this. If, 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 you, if you love my kids, then I love you, right? But if you, and you can offend me. It's okay. But if you offend my kids, like it's over. Right? We get all bowed up, us parents. Right? Like this is something we all know is mama bear, papa bear. Right? Like it comes out when we offend our kids, right? But, you know, (laughs) we don't even have to learn this. Like because it's just in our nature. Well, guess what? We got that nature from God. We are created in his image. You offend God's children, and it's not good. Okay? And, and, and Jesus gives us three warnings here when it comes to creating a safe place for his, for his children. And the first one is drowning. Right? He says, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. It sounds like Jesus is in the mafia here. Right? So, but it was a common Roman uh, way of exercising capital punishment at this time. And, and I think Jesus is just using this severe form of punishment to show just how seriously God takes protecting his children. Right? We're to be a safe place. His body should be a safe place. His church should be a safe place. A couple of years ago, uh, my wife, my family and I, we went to fireworks show at the Fort Worth, uh, Panther Island. If you guys have ever been there last year, I heard it was a, they got to cancel it or something, but uh, a couple of years ago we went and, uh, I, I, listen, I'm not found, I'm not fond of crowds. I, I don't, I don't, especially if you're going to go through all this traffic and then go through all this walking and, tra- you know, all these crowds for a 10 minute fireworks show. Like, uh, you know, but I got to tell you, this this fireworks show was by far the best I'd ever seen. Yes, I've been to Disney. It was still better. OK, it's better than that. But here's the deal. Immediately it's over and we start to leave and it's chaos. Right. It's chaos. If you've ever been there, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But it's shoulder to shoulder. Everybody's trying to get out. You like this. But even worse, this time we're there and, the, and a fight breaks out, like not even 10 yards from us. Like they, two people start fighting and then it's, you know, it's four people and it's six. It's like the police are trying to get in, but we're all just trying to get out. You know, we're just following the crowd, hoping that they're going to take us somewhere safe and following them to get out of there. But finally, we cross the bridge there. There's like a little couple. It's an island. OK, so you got to cross over this bridge. And as soon as we get over, I kind of look back at my grandson and I look at him and Micah is totally clocked out. He, he, he's sleeping. And, and even though he's surrounded by all this chaos, he's sleeping safe and sound. Right. Why is that? How in the world can he be surrounded by chaos and be asleep? Right. And here's the reason why. Because he is in the safest place he'll ever be on this side of heaven, in his father's arms. Right? In his dad's arms. 
He, he can be safe and sound. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is that for children, both biological and spiritual, that, that the church, his body of people, should be as safe to them as their parents' arms. And I just have a strong conviction that whomever walks in these doors or, or your homes should be walking in to their father's arms. All we, we, after all, we are the body of Christ. People feel the love of Jesus when they get around us, right? That's how it should be. And if we don't embrace them, then who will? But sadly, this is not the case all the time in the church uh, across America. I recently watched a documentary. Uh, you've probably seen The Chosen. Uh, well, they released a, a documentary uh, where they brought in about eight or nine uh, Gen Z. And they, they're all unbelievers. And they just randomly picked them, I think. And they, what they wanted to do is they wanted them to binge watch The Chosen, just to watch their normal reactions to uh, the show. And it was pretty enlightening watching their reactions. It, the, the, but in this uh, discussion with these Gen Z, there was a girl there who had been sexually abused in the church. Sexually abused in the church. And this is what she said. She said, I think that's why I'm terrified of going back to the church. I felt like no one protected me. Jesus is not silent on these kinds of things. Okay? It would be better, he says, for that person to be tossed into the sea. Jesus is not silent on these things. When we fail to make this place a safe place, we distort people's image and we, and we distort people's understanding of who God is. Right? Anything that harms a person's faith in God, his word, or his church, it needs to be confronted, right? And this is certainly includes any kind of sexual abuse, any kind of physical abuse or verbal abuse. Anything that harms a person's faith in God, his word, and his church should be confronted. And here's why. Because the church has to be a safe place for sheep and a dangerous place for wolves. And if that's not the truth that we're not being the body of people that he needs us to be. The second warning he gives us is amputation. Okay, so he says, okay, drowning, then amputation. Verse 8, and if your hand and your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than, to, than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. Here's the third warning. He says, it's blinding. Okay, verse nine. And he and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Now, I'm sure you heard this before in, in the word. But the last time Jesus was talking about cutting off limbs and gouging out eyes was in the context of adultery. OK, and he's essentially saying that nothing is worth keeping at the expense of your own personal holiness. But now he's using it in the same language here. He's using the same, uh, but now he's putting it in the context of protecting children. Okay, so what exactly is Jesus trying to say? And let me give you three things real quick. The first one is this. Your commitment to protecting children is only as strong as your commitment to your own personal purity. 
Okay, here's a second one. Removing stumbling blocks for children starts with looking at ourselves. And so if there's anything in my life that I need to cut out, anything I need to gouge out, that it, that it doesn't it doesn't become a stumbling block for other new believers. Right? Here's the third one. The best way to protect others is to take your own personal holiness seriously. Because if you're not going to take that seriously, if you're not going to take this seriously, you're not going to take that seriously, right? And so I think that's a little bit of what Jesus is trying to say here. We're to be a safe place, okay? We're to be a safe place. And that's uh, and also we're, we're to be a safe place for sheep and a dangerous place for wolves. So here's a third biblical value that I was going to cover. We're to be a reconciling people. A reconciling people. So let me just give you a quick definition of this. This is the process of bringing broken relationships back together. Okay? And our greatest example of this is what Jesus did for us, right? Look at 2 Corinthians 5.18. It should be on on the screens. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So essentially what this means is that because we have been reconciled back to God, our job, our mission should be to help as many people as possible experience that same level of reconciliation. Right? And to do that, we both preach the message of reconciliation, which, which is the gospel, as well as practice the method of reconciliation. And Matthew 18 walks us through what that method should be. Uh, but here, let's look at where it starts here in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Okay, like it starts there. We have to see that every single person has value. Every single person matters. Right? Continuing on, it says, For I tell you that in heaven... Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, this is an interesting verse because a lot of people take it and they'll use it to explain how every one of us has our own personal guardian angel. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if that's the case or not. I, I, I don't know if they come and go. I. I. I you know. I. I don't know how many there are. You know. I, you know. Or if they're with us sometimes and sometimes not. I don't know. I do know that some of you need a whole army of angels to watch over you, right? But that's not the point. Here's the point. If the children of God are to be served by God's angels, then how dare they be attacked by God's people, right? In the family of God, every single person matters. That's like what Paul said. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Right? We, we all matter. And, and, and here's another point I just want to drive home. Until you carry about, you care about the process, or excuse me, until you care about the person, you won't care about the process. Right? Because it's the process is built for the person. And so we have to start there. Do you see the value of one life? Because God does. He values the individual. Your life matters. Your life matters. 
You can put that on a bumper sticker. I'll, I'll support that. Therefore, we value everyone. Now look at what Jesus' heart says for the one. Look at verse 12. Wait, by the way, if you're watching in your, in your Bibles, if you're following along, you see there's not verse 11. It's missing. I don't have time to go through this because we're not going to study that part. But uh, this, if, you have a, if you're in a more modern version of, uh, of Bibles, then it just is blank. Okay, but scholars have found that there are many uh, that that verse was not in, in manuscripts uh, before the fifth century, and so it was removed in some more of the more modern uh, Bibles. That's why you see nothing there. Okay. Okay, verse twelve. It says, "Why do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go in, in search of the one that went astray?" And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than, than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not a, the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, sheep love to wander. Right? It's just in their nature. They don't even have to try. They just wander away. And sometimes... They wander into danger, right? Let me show you what I mean. Take a look at this video. Now, this sheep has wandered away from the flock, and uh, he's stuck in a crevice. And the good shepherd pulls him out. And But what does he do? He goes, I'm so free. I'm just going to use my freedom to get stuck again. Right? And I think this has to be one of the best illustrations for us as people. Right. And you may be sitting there going, I don't think I like being compared to sheep. I don't either. But it's an appropriate comparison because it says in the the prophet Isaiah said, he said, we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And this this story should just tell you just how valuable you are. Right. All right. So the father's in the room. Okay, imagine. Imagine waking up in the middle of the night, and, and it's a house fire. Okay, it's a house fire. What do you do? Okay, you don't even think about it. You just start grabbing kids, right, and taking them to safety. Whether it's one at a time or or grabbing them all, you just start grabbing them all and you get them out, right? You get them to safety. You get outside and you're looking around and you start counting. Like, okay, one, two, three. Oh my goodness, so and so's missing, right? But does the father just take a step back and say, well, I think I saved enough. No, without hesitation, the father runs right back into the fire to find the one that's still in danger. That's what Jesus does as the shepherd. He counts his kids. And he rejoices that some are already safe in Christ. But as he looks around, he sees, oh, my word, somebody's missing. Right, And he he doesn't abandon the 99 to go after the one. No, those 99 are already safe. They're already taken care of. But his heart aches and it breaks for those who have strayed from from the fold. We chase the strays because God chases the strays. And listen, there are a lot of people that would call this father going back into the fire reckless. 
In fact, they may even call it reckless love. Just like the song we just sang. But there is something pure and beautiful about the father that's willing to risk his life to go in after the one that's still in danger. That's what Jesus did. Right? And he's saying, I know you're wandering. I know you're going to fall in the crevice. It's just your nature. And he said, let me show you a father's sacrifice. Now, we go after the wanderer because that's what Jesus did for us. And sometimes this gets a little bit uncomfortable as we have conflict and it rises within believers. Right. So Pastor Doug, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he gave us the secret sauce uh, of to manage your conflict. And uh, he was sharing this in context of uh, the, the of Aquila and Priscilla uh, approaching uh, Apollos. I'm sure you remember that. And the first ingredient is to make sure you approach this uh, conflict with being God centered, gospel centered. OK. And if you maintain this ingredient, you can never go wrong. Okay? The second one is this. Be teachable. Okay? Allow others to lovingly come to you. Uh, be open-minded to be it being a two-sided conversation. Okay? Where you may receive a suggestion to change. Right? And sometimes that tastes bad going down, to be honest with you. Mark Dever, he speaks of this as as medicine to the body of Christ. It says, it may not taste good going down, but it is necessary for the healthiness of the body of Christ. The third ingredient is to go in private. Okay, look at verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So go in private to the person who offended you. That, that you have conflict with. You don't go to anywhere else, right? You, you get it straight from the, the horse's mouth. Tell them that they have offended you and that they've hurt you. And just to be clear here, the purpose of, of this encounter is not to win an argument, okay? It's to win the brother or the sister, right? It's to win the person. And here's another important ingredient. Listen. Don't talk over each other. Hear them out. Hear their heart. No one should ever, you know, at this point, it should just be the two of you. No one else should really know. Okay? But hopefully this is where it stops. Uh, Because when we're in Christ, we're able to hear about how someone has hurt us or we have hurt them and we do our part. Right? We And we repent and we ask for forgiveness. All right? And that's when it happens. If that happens, then great. Then we've received, uh, we've achieved reconciliation. But if that brother or sister refuses, then we add another ingredient. We're just calling it a pinch of helpful because most of the time at this point, this leads to resolution. But if not, then that brother or sister refuses. Then you add in another ingredient that Pastor Doug suggested. It was commitment, which is don't give up. Don't give up. Stay faithful, you know, because at some point you're going to need some help. And when you need to get some help, let's look at what verse 16 says. But if, it, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if you go get some help, 
but you don't get it. You need to get it from somebody that's you know matured in the faith. Okay, you need to you need to get someone some mature believers. Okay, and it's best that you that you get someone that's already involved relationally that's connected with those both parties, right? And this may involve church leadership, or it may not. But why do you take backup? Because Jesus said, so that every fact may be established. In other words, so that the story stays straight. Okay? And I think that this step is really where maturity is revealed. Uh, This is really where kind of the heat gets turned up uh, a few notches. Because sometimes people are not reconciled because they just don't want to be. Right? They want to hold on to their offenses more than their reconciliation. And if that's the case, then you proceed to the next step within there. It says, you take all of this and you tell the church. Okay, that's what the, let's look at verse 17. It says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as, to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, here in verse 17, it says, tell the church. Well, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean, like Pastor Doug says, it doesn't mean to get on Facebook and say, you know, so-and-so, I can't believe this happened, you know. Right? That's when Pastor Doug was like, for the love, for the love. Right? Don't do this. And, and, and it doesn't mean that you stand in, in the lobby and tell everyone uh, who walks through or you pass out flyers uh, that you made on the office copier. Right? No, tell the church means this. This is what I believe. You tell the church leadership, okay? And together you'll seek, seek God's wisdom. Uh, together you'll seek a solution that is God-centered and gospel-centered, okay? So it, it says, uh, what does it mean then to consider them like a tax collector or a Gentile? Okay, well, I don't think it means that we shun them or that we make them unwelcome. But I think it does mean that, that all of our interactions with them from that point, from there, are aimed towards calling them to repentance. Okay? Because it's no more business as usual at that point. Okay? And here's the reason why. Because if you continue to relate with them uh, like nothing has ever changed, then nothing will ever change. We're, we care about them enough to say something's not right here. Right? And I'm praying and I'm believing that you're going to come back to the Father. But until then, it can't be like it was. Right? Managing conflict isn't easy. And it isn't fun. It's not supposed to be fun. It can be uncomfortable. It can be messy sometimes. But it's necessary. Right? And here's why. Jesus needs a healthy church body because healthiness inside leads to effectiveness outside. Right? We can't afford not to manage conflict, but we need his help. And that's why we see in verse 20, it says, Jesus says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, this verse gets quoted out of context quite often. Uh, where, you know, where, where there are two uh, or three or more gathered, there is Jesus, there is God, right? We hear that a lot. But, but, but that, does that mean that if you're alone in your prayer closet that Jesus isn't there? No. That, what it means here is we have to read it in the context of, of what is in, the, is in the word there. It says, and we can realize that two or three more gathered in my name in the context of managing conflict, which is what it was just talking about, 
He's saying you're not alone. Okay, uh, He's there to guide you. He's there to help you all along the way. Okay, So if we're going to be a reconciling people, then we have to value the one, chase the strays, use the secret sauce to managing conflict. All right? But ultimately, we have to know and trust that he's right here with us all along the way. Here's the fourth biblical value. We need to be a forgiving people. We need to be a forgiving people. Look at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Peter, he's such an overachiever. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Meaning, you always choose forgiveness. Always. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna sum up these next few verses for the sake of time. Then Jesus tells this story there after this about a servant who had racked up an insurmount, insurmountable debt to his master, okay? It was 10,000 talents which equals a billion days of a peasant's wage, right? So Jesus is making a point here that the debt was as big as it could possibly be. It was insurmountable, okay? And he begs his master, forgive me, oh, forgive me. You know, the master's going to, you know, at this point he's going to toss him in jail. To, you know, he's going to sell his kids, right? They put him in jail until they can pay the debt. And he begs and he falls on his face. And the master has compassion for him, and he shows mercy, okay? And he forgives the debt, all of that. But then almost immediately, he goes to a fellow servant who owed him essentially a 100 denarii, which is about a 100 days' wages, right? Which is incredibly trivial compared to what he'd already been forgiven of, right? But that servant demands that 100 denarii from his coworker. Right, He grabs him by the neck. He throws him uh, into prison along with his family. Well, the master hears about this and gets pretty upset, understandably, right? Look at verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he, until he should pay all his debt. So also the he, my heavenly father will do to you, to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, again, this 10,000 talents is to show the insurmountable debt that you and I owe because of our sin. Because of our sin, we racked up a debt that we could never pay. No amount of good deeds, no amount of going to church, no amount of generosity could ever pay back what we owe. But God shows us great compassion and mercy to each of us. And he did so by sending his only son, Jesus, to pay the debt that you and I could never pay. And because of that, we are called to show the same compassion and the same mercy and same forgiveness to others. Every offense and injury incurred by God's children, it has to be approached by this way. This is where we start. No one can hurt me as much as my sin has hurt Jesus. That's the right perspective. 
And when we have been wronged, we don't just need to have the right perspective, but we need to have the right power to forgive. We don't have it in and of ourselves to do it. That's why we need Jesus. We need him. We need his power. Jesus is the savior that we need. He's a welcoming savior. He's a safe savior. He's a reconciling and forgiving savior. Therefore, it is only through the power of Jesus that we can be the kind of people that he wants us to be. A welcoming people. A safe people. A reconciling and forgiving people. Think about it this way. Sometimes we are the only, we are the only Bible that someone will ever read. So when they see us, when they see us interact with each other, do they see a hospitable, welcoming people? Right? When, when they see us and they look at how we love and interact with one another, do they see us through, through as a God who has is refuge and a safe place for the hurting and the needy? When they see how we love and interact with one another, do they get a clear picture of the gospel? How reconciliation is possible and how forgiveness is offered. Do they see it? When they see us, do they see Jesus? Are we being the people Jesus needs us to be? And to answer that question, you have to start with you personally. Are you being that person? Are you a welcoming and safe and reconciling and forgiving person? Here's what I'm going to ask to encourage you to do. Because I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and start making their way up. Uh, We're going to sing a song. And uh, we're going to get you guys out of here pretty quick. Um, But I want us to all think about these four biblical values that I've given you today. Which one of these values is the Lord, the Holy Spirit, calling you to be a little bit more like Christ this week? Is it to be a welcoming person? Is it to be a safe person? A reconciling and forgiving person? Maybe there's someone that you haven't offered forgiveness to. Try to see, hone in on one of those to see where the Lord is leading you. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we just ask that we allow it to work in us. Lord, may we be a welcoming people, not just here at church, but at home. May we be a safe people, a reconciling and forgiving people, Lord. That whatever it is that you need to call us to, wherever it is that we need to work, you need to work in our hearts with this word today, Lord. We ask you to do so. Father, if there's anyone here that hears your word and feels convicted by 
your word. Allow that to work in them. To know that that's you. That's your spirit working in them. Lord, we we thank you for today. In Jesus' name.